this is for professional and institutional clients only. The cash flow test has been less of a focus because interest rates have been so low that in many cases, actually, there's been substantial excess cash flow compared to a very low-cost debt stack. Now, of course, in the current environment, interest is now a lot higher, and the proportion of cash flow required to pay for debt is more meaningful. And I think that's going to be the challenge. Welcome to the Igneo Infrastructure Partners podcast, Keeping It Real Assets. In this series, you will hear from the Igneo investment team in conversation with the leaders of our global infrastructure businesses. We will shine a light on how they operate and their approach to the challenges of an ever-changing world. We hope that you enjoy listening. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Keeping It Real Assets. My name is Alessandro Valenti, and I'm a managing director and head of financing at Igneo Infrastructure Partners. In a change to our normal program of discussing individual sectors and portfolio companies that Egan invests in, today we are taking a step back to learn more about financing markets and debt finance for investment into European infrastructure, what it is and why it is used. I'm joined today by Bart White, Managing Director and European Head of Energy Structural Finance at Satander, one of the largest, more respected and invested players in infrastructure financing and advisor globally. Bart, could you tell us more about yourself and your career to date? My career has been, I've been very blessed in terms of the opportunities that I've had to develop a very broad background in debt financing leading up to my current role, which is a great privilege running the energy structured finance team at Santander. I joined Santander around six years ago to create their European debt advisory business for infrastructure and energy. And then following that, I took over the UK under Nordic's structured finance business. And then we merged all of our European businesses, which created my current role around a year and a bit ago. So you personally advise and oversee the lending to a large number of infrastructure companies and projects. As such, you have a privileged point of view to observe global debt markets and the trends that impact this market. For our listeners who may be less familiar with what debt instruments are, Could you give us a brief overview of why that is needed when a fund manager such as Igneo makes an investment into a company and what that does to returns on infrastructure and why is that so important? So I'm going to answer this question from very ground level principles. So in terms of what is debt, how does it interact with equity? And to make this as open as possible, because then it will help us as we go through the rest of the podcast. So equity clearly is you own the asset and the cash flows from the asset after costs come to you. Debt is a fixed cost, typically fixed cost, whether it's a indexed cost against a base rate or whether it's actually fully fixed. So a certain or a predictable return for capital, which is meant to be lower risk. So it gets paid out, it gets that fixed return before the equity return. So it should be a lower reward, lower risk part of a capital structure, part of how to finance any given business or project or individual asset. So we have a a part of the capital structure which is lower risk, lower cost. It comes in many, many different forms. And why it's essential for the infrastructure space 
is that the required equity return, typically you need to see a healthy incremental margin or incremental reward for providing a equity instrument because it takes the most risk. If you were to finance your projects, assets or businesses with just equity, it would be prohibitively expensive. And debt allows us to reduce the overall average cost of the capital, cost of the financing for any business. So it's a low cost form of financing. It allows us to optimize the cost of capital, optimize the equity return. Now, there is a point where actually debt is not accretive. Unfortunately, this is a podcast. I'd love to show you a graph, but typically there's a point where cost of capital reduces as you introduce debt into any business. And then there's a turning point, there's a point of inflection. And as you increase the debt beyond a certain point, the debt itself becomes too risky. The debt itself becomes very expensive. And then overall, it's not beneficial in terms of reducing that cost of capital. So debt is the instrument which helps us efficiently finance infrastructure businesses. If you have very long-term predictable cash flows, a portion of those cash flows can absolutely finance and provide a stable debt platform. And then you are reducing the equity burden. The lower risk the underlying asset, the more essential it is to bring debt into the mix to optimize the cost of capital overall. If you look at more risky sectors, then typically the amount of debt versus equity would be a lower portion. And that brings to the next question, which is, Anyone with a mortgage will be aware that interest rates have been increasing in recent months on the back of rising inflation globally. Can you tell us more about what has happened the last 12 to 18 months at a high level and how that has impacted the infrastructure financing? In terms of the debt market and how it's evolved, clearly it's very linked to the broader macroeconomic environment. We have the conflict in Ukraine that has stimulated an increase in energy prices. Those energy prices are a key factor which flows into inflation. And we have seen very high levels of inflation globally and especially in Europe over the last 18 months. That high inflation leads to concern at a central bank level. The fiscal health of any economy, it's not good to have very high inflation. And one of the key tools to manage inflation is to increase interest rates. When a central bank increases interest rates, the person on the street is more inclined to save money rather than spend money and to effectively reduce the amount of cash in the system by having people put it in their savings accounts means that it typically combats that inflation. The inflation which we've seen, though, is tricky to handle. It's tricky to manage. On the basis, it's not a smear across many, many different items in the basket of inflation, but it was energy driven. So the energy flows into commodity prices, flows into widgets, flows into your luxury goods. So it will take time to manage inflation. That's why we're seeing interest rates, which have been higher for a period of time. However, there's a bit of history here as well, which is relevant. So interest rates are high for those of us with a short memory. But of course, interest rates are stable levels or historic levels or normal levels versus a longer term historic graph. So pre-financial crisis in 2008, the interest rates were not at dissimilar levels to where they are today. It's just quantitative easing and effectively support for economies to make sure that we had a long and sustained recovery from the financial crisis 
have left us with low interest rates for the last 15 years. We have observed very fast movements in rates to combat very fast movement in inflation. And it does set a new paradigm for returns. So back to the original comment around debt and equity, calibrating risk and reward is relative to the risk-free rate. And the risk-free rate is effectively the government rate, the return that you would get for putting your cash into government securities. And so the debt, which is slightly more risky, the equity, which is typically a little bit more risky again, those are calibrated against that base rate. What we've seen is that the rate has gone up and therefore the perception is that the debt cost certainly goes up. It's pretty much pegged to the the underlying interest rate. But the equity cost is not a one-to-one peg with the interest rate, but there is a conversation around what is the appropriate level of equity return in the context of higher interest rates. And it's that question which has been on the minds of many players in the infrastructure space And it has perhaps delayed some decisions around transactions because there's a little bit of uncertainty around what the appropriate level of return should be. I think the complexity that we currently face is we have moved to a higher rates environment, but the forecasts are that rates will reduce. Now, if we had a forecast which said we've reset to a new paradigm and rates are now high, then everyone could recalibrate their expectations, financial models and adjust to new valuations, debt and equity valuations in the context of those new interest rates. However, in light of the fact that rates might be coming down in the near to medium term, some people will say, well, I'll have to wait and see how that actually pans out before I'm able to really solidify my view on the market and solidify my view on valuation. So these changes are causing a delay in some investment decisions stagnating some of the transaction flow that we would have seen over the years before this current change in the environment. And what are the lessons that you have learned from being a lender in this time of change? We continue to be very active in deploying balance sheet to our clients. In terms of that pace of investment and that pace of deploying capital, we have seen in the energy space a shift towards more greenfield versus brownfield as a proportion of the deals that we've been doing. The greenfield investments we are making are effectively in financing new projects, energy projects, which are absolutely essential in our journey towards net zero. We're currently the number one lender globally and in Europe in renewables financing. And that's very important because that underpins our role in the energy transition and delivering projects. We are seeing less brownfield activity And brownfield activity, typically refinancings or top-up financings or recapitalization in the context of events, in the context of M&A, given the interest rate environment and perhaps that delaying some M&A transactions, that means that some of that brownfield activity is reduced. But of course, there will be a return to those brownfield transactions in the months and years ahead. Do you see any specific geography to be more relevant at the moment, for example, the US or Asia. Is there any different wave of players that are entering the market or some others that are actually exiting the market? So I don't think we've seen anyone exit the market. I think the ambition for financing debt in energy and infrastructure continues to be very robust. And we are seeing that in the overall pricing dynamic, which continues to be 
favorable for sponsors, notwithstanding broader complexity in terms of pricing outside of the energy and infrastructure space. In terms of the underlying investor type, yes, the market continues to become more and more global as time goes by. I think overall, the globe is getting smaller and the investor base that we're dealing with continues to become more connected. We are finding appetite in all corners of the globe to invest in European infrastructure and energy. In the context of products, depending on the dynamic of the underlying asset, we do see relevance for capital markets products, other forms of institutional debt raising. There are some subsectors which continue to be primarily bank financed, and that's just aligning to where banks have a particular appetite. A subsector like offshore wind, for instance, continues to be very heavily bank financed. Whereas if we look across to something like energy from waste, and we've had this experience with Igneo in the context of Infinium, actually that deal was largely placed in the European and US private placement market, underpinning the very cost-effective capital from those markets to finance long-dated infrastructure investments in the UK. With increasing interest rates also, there has been quantitative tightening by the central banks in Europe and the US. Do you see liquidity to reduce nowadays? Or do you feel like the infrastructure that the liquidity is going to be there, either provided by banks or institutional investors? It's a very good question. I think the liquidity has been increasing over the last 15 years for debt instruments in energy and infrastructure. I would say that if I had to gaze into the crystal ball, I wouldn't expect that trend of a wall of cash continuing to come into the debt market, I suspect that will be relatively stable in this current environment. So I think all good projects, all good businesses will have ready access to financing. However, the overwhelming force of financing continue to grow. I imagine it will be a bit more stable as we go through the next 6-12 months. However, the European market, these are very good assets, solid regulatory regime. And so there will be continued enthusiasm for debt financing, I'm sure. So as you just mentioned, there has been an increased interest for infrastructure financing in the last 15 years. And I guess that with that, a lot of innovation came. So do you believe that we have reached a plateau or an upper limit in terms of optimization of infrastructure capital structures, or there's still room for improvement there? Well, you know I love a bit of innovation in financing. And the cynics will tell you that Everything is just a reinvention of what's been done before. And actually, I refute that claim. I do think that some of the transactions which are coming to the market every year represent the best transactions in the market, represent a real shift towards a new way of optimizing financing. And those optimizations can be to find a capital structure rather than a generic form of financing, something that is a bespoke design for an underlying business project, asset, series of cash flows. So it's that bespoke nature, that real tweak and fix of the capital structure. Those optimizations continue. I'm absolutely convinced that over the next few years, we will see more and more innovative, cutting edge transactions, which will redefine the way that we finance energy and infrastructure. We were very proud to work with you on the Finesse financing, the variable amortization structure that Finesse benefits from in that 2.3 billion euro refinancing allows that business to amortize more or less based on the actual cash flow generation from those wind assets. 
It's something which hasn't really been done before in a new way, certainly in terms of cash flow mechanisms. We had great fun, and that's fun in inverted commas, with the lawyers to get that transaction documented. It was innovative. It was market leading. And we're looking forward to seeing similar innovations in and across the energy and infrastructure space in coming years. What challenges on the horizon can you see for infrastructure financing and what sponsors and companies should do to prepare for? The real challenge is more one of history. Debt financings in the energy and infrastructure space, the more higher levered or more structured debt financings, typically have two financial tests. They have a leverage test and they have a cash flow test. And I'll just explain a little bit what that means. So a leverage test is effectively a way of policing whether there's the overall amount of debt against a business makes sense. So is it the right level of debt capital versus value or is it the wrong level of debt capital versus value? And then the cash flow test is, am I generating enough cash from my project, business or asset versus the amount of cost to sustain the debt element of the capital structure. So in the context of if I've got earnings of X, what level of X can I use to finance and maintain my debt stack? Now, the latter test, the cash flow test, has been less of a focus because interest rates have been so low that in many cases, actually, there's been substantial excess cash flow compared to a very low-cost debt stack. Now, of course, in the current environment, interest is now a lot higher and the proportion of cash flow required to pay for debt is more meaningful. And I think that's going to be the challenge for many, many businesses is just adjusting to, rather than thinking just in leverage terms, in cash flow terms, how much debt can I have, not based on the value of the business, but simply based on the cost of the interest and how much interest they can afford. One last question on a very relevant topic for the infrastructure market and for our own investors. Green ESG financing structures are increasingly becoming the norm. How ESG considerations are changing the way infrastructure lenders deploy their funds? It's a very good question and clearly it's very topical. ESG has been an absolute theme over the last 5-10 years. Initially and candidly, it was more about the E than the S and the G. There's a growing conversation around the whole ESG. So the S and the G element is coming into a lot of people's forefront of their mind in terms of how deals are structured, in terms of how businesses are run. So board governance, KPIs for ESG-linked financing, whatever it may be, is focusing on the overall elements of ESG. It is absolutely important. We all have a shared commitment and responsibility to ensure that we run businesses well. We focus on the environment, but we also focus on diversity, inclusion, and good governance. In terms of how that evolves, I believe that will increase over time. There will be a point in the future where all of these aspects are absolutely fundamental and don't need to be policed and don't need to be measured just because we've got there, but we are so far away. So looking forward to the future. But for now, in terms of financings, in terms of overall businesses and the way that they're structured and run, ESG is a very important focus. And do you see in the lending community, given the heightened focus on ESG, a shift in liquidity towards more ESG compliant assets or projects? There are 
capital benefits for certainly banks in focusing on environmental finance. So in environmentally friendly transactions, and the ECB has a capital discount, which aligns with that. Overall, I think we have to be realistic around where we deploy capital. And there is an existing ecosystem in the market which needs to be financed and needs to be serviced. But I think almost all or all people who we deal with in the energy and infrastructure space and across our broader corporate client base are focused on ESG and are focused on the future. And the future is net zero. And there's a lot of ambition in the market around that direction of travel and making sure we get there as quickly as possible. Coming back to the interest rate risk, we have been very diligent in the past in terms of fixing our interest rates where the interests were very low in the market for as long as possible. Do you think that now the approach to hedging has changed given what the rates are? And do you feel like that the sponsors and the companies like they would need to have a different approach to that? On hedging, and for those who don't know, hedging effectively where we're locking in one of the potential variables which otherwise would move around. And the big focus is on interest rates. So there is the ability to lock in the interest rate at a fixed level as opposed to have it floating. And this is relevant for both debt and equity. The conversation that we've had in the past is how much of your debt is fixed, but for the tenor of the debt. And I think we have a burgeoning focus on not only the tenor of the debt, but for the future capital structure, so for refinancings of that debt, how much is that portion of the capital structure, the future capital structure, exposed to interest rates as well? And so we are seeing increasing number of conversations, not about how much of the capital structure is fixed, how much of it has a fixed interest rate rather than a floating interest rate, but for also how long. And it's that focus on tenor, which I think is absolutely a growing conversation. A prudent capital structure probably historically would have a higher portion of the current and future capital structure fixed. However, of course, no one has a crystal ball in terms of where rates will go up or down. But in that context, at least you have certainty. Thank you so much for joining us part today. We hope our conversation has given a different point of view to the examples that we normally share with you about managing an, an infrastructure business. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to join the podcast. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Real Assets, the Igneo Infrastructure Partners podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to more by following Igneo Infrastructure Partners on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to find out more about Igneo Infrastructure Partners, you can visit our website at igneoip.com. This podcast series was produced by Mark Gardner at OX4 Sound Studio. This podcast is not a financial promotion and has been prepared for general information purposes only. It is not intended to be investment or financial advice and does not take into account the specific investment objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. References to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell such securities. Investment vehicles managed by Igneo Infrastructure Partners are only available to institutional investors, professional investors, qualified investors and wholesale clients. They are not available to retail clients, the general public, 
private customers or any persons in any jurisdiction in which their distribution is not authorised. Igneo Infrastructure Partners is an unlisted infrastructure asset management business and is part of the First Sentier Investors Group. We communicate and conduct business through different legal entities in different locations. Please refer to the notes section of the podcast platform you use for more information on Igneo Infrastructure Partners in your region. For Singapore only, the podcast should be used in accordance with the applicable laws in Singapore. In Singapore, the podcast is issued by First Centia Investors Singapore, whose company registration number is 196900420D. This advertisement or material has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. First Centia Investors registration number 53236800B and Igneo Infrastructure Partners, registration number 53447928J, are business divisions of First Centia Investors Singapore.